While they're going out, you can be opening your Bible to the book of John in chapter 1, the gospel of John in chapter 1. If you're using the Bible provided for you there, it's on page 1053. And uh, if you're not, then you've got to find it on your own. John chapter 1. Um, we just finished a three-week series on the Trinity. We're going to start a new series, uh, Topical Sermons, which again, I don't usually do, but we're, we're going to do it now. You can leave that last slide back up if you want to, called Together. And we're going to do a Together series. Today is Together We Tell. Uh, many times when we read the Bible, because of uh, the country we live in, the culture we live in, we read it as if it were only applying to me. Well, that's good because it is applying to you. It's sort of like, I think you were talking about me. Yes, I was. But God is talking to all of us as a body, all of us as a whole. So what he commands there is not only for individual obedience, it is for the group obedience. Everyone in the church ought to be doing that. And we ought to kind of coordinate it so we can do it together in many, many times. And I'm using it as a theme verse for the Together series, uh, Colossians 2, 2 and, th and 3, which says this, that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul said, I've been praying for you, that your hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love to teach, uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom, we, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul's prayer for us in, in Colossians is that we be encouraged and knit together. And so when we're together, we do what he commanded together. And today I want to talk about telling other people about Christ. And listen, again, I go back to kind of our cultural Christianity and, and, and looking back over the decades that I've been around uh, which aren't that many in light of eternity, but they're getting to be a lot in the light of being a young person. That, um, that I've noticed where we weren't wrong, but it could lead to maybe not exactly what we ought to have been doing. Okay? Because I, I, I don't want to condemn anybody, and I certainly don't want to sound like I'm condemning anything that is a good thing, and much of it is a good thing. But here's what I'm driving at, because we're talking about telling other people about Jesus, and we've made it formulaic. I, I've, I have learned several different styles and methods of, of telling people about our faith. And many times in our churches, we keep telling more and more and more and more of those kinds of things. We're coming up with new ways. And how can I do this? How can I teach this? And, uh, and so I, I will be, I'm going to make a bold statement, all right? And this bold statement can't possibly always be true. Everybody following me? So what I'm about to say, you're going to say, oh, I don't believe you can do that. And you'd be right. I, I can't. But, but I want you to just get an understanding of what I'm trying to say. I've learned methods of telling people about Christ where if you can engage in that conversation, you can logically take them to the place where not to receive Christ, you'd have to be the biggest idiot in the world. Well, that is an intellectual argument. But the Bible says it is our faith is given to us by God, right? So though I could reach a mind, I can't reach a heart. That takes God. So reaching the mind opens them up maybe to receive what God's going to do in their heart. Would you agree? Okay, good. And, and so I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's wrong to have that idea because I remember being in South America and we had a little system we were using, a little picture cube that you could 
move around, show the pictures, and tell the story of the gospel through pictures. I started trying to do this. They asked me to come over. These three guys, they had questions. And so I've got a Spanish translator. We're in Argentina. And I start, and the guy said, well, I have a question. What if I've already murdered three people? And he didn't mean like, like, this is a hypothetical question. He meant, I've murdered three people. What's God going to do with that? So I fold up my little pictures and put them back in my pocket because I wasn't time for pictures, <laughs> you know. And, and thankfully, the Lord touched his heart. The Lord was already touching his heart. So I want you to learn any way to share your faith because you ought to do that because you never know what part of that or all of that can come in useful at some particular moment in time. But I want to look at something John the Baptist did and what Jesus' response to it is. And so we're in John chapter 1, and I want you to look at, at John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day he, as John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I haven't put any context to this, but John is the forerunner of Christ. He is in the spirit of Elijah. He came to make, make the way for the Messiah to come, and that is Christ. And he's about six months ahead of Jesus in age, and they're cousins. His mom is who Mary went to after the Holy Spirit had come to her in Luke chapter 2. She went to John's mom to talk to her about it because they told her to go there. And she took care of her cousin until John was born. Then she came back home, and she and Joseph got fully married. They were already married, but fully married. And we, the story goes on from there. So John and Jesus were at least probably aware of each other. They knew each other. And they kind of understood their roles. And so we come here to where John sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's one of the great verses of Scripture that we, we love to quote. So I want to stop right now and, and ask you to join me in prayer as we ask God to move in our own hearts right now. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, indeed, we bow before you because you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and power and dominion. Lord, we confess today we don't know enough, we're not strong enough, we can't do enough to please you. That everything that we can do that pleases you is done by you through the Holy Spirit in our life as we walk by faith. So help us today, Lord, to walk by faith. Talk to us today. Give us the insight into your word. And when we understand what you're telling us, maybe we be quick to obey it. Lord, we ask you to protect us in this moment. We ask you to rebuke our enemy, the devourer, the ancient dragon. And that, Lord, indeed, today you would give us freedom to hear from you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. It's kind of an unusual statement if you think about it. I, I'm going to do a lot of verses in John. So I was, I've been debating whether to read them all or we'll do them as we get to them. How about that? And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in verse 30 says, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. But he was born six months after John. So he's pointing out to Jesus' deity that he always was, um, that he didn't just begin. And so by the end of today, I want you uh, to have a clear understanding of the church's mission. And that is... To make less of ourselves and more of Jesus Christ. Because some of our methods of evangelism. You can put that phrase up there if you don't mind. 
some of our methods of evangelism, we don't, everything died. Okay, cool. Um, some of our forms of evangelism, we're, we're inviting people to church. I, I went to a, a Southern Baptist conference one time, and the guy said at that, at that meeting, he said, we are really good at making church members, but we're not really good at making disciples. I thought, man, that was a powerful statement. And I re- it, it just, you're right. We, we, we get people to join our church or come to our church. But shouldn't our church be really pointing people to Jesus? Well, that requires something. And let me just quickly say, just in case you, you're not sure, why did he call him the Lamb of God? What does that mean? Well, you know what he did in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, they, God gave Moses a system of sacrificing animals, lambs on an altar. And, uh, and, and in fact, in the call of Abraham, he gave Moses those rules. But in the case of Abraham, he, he told him, hey, go sacrifice your son on top of this mountain. I'm going to show you. And on the way up, Elijah says, Dad, uh, here's the wood. Here's the fire. Where's the lamb? And he said, son, God himself will provide a lamb. And so, when he got up there, of course, God told him, got him up on the altar. And by the way, Elijah was about 19, 20 years old when this happened. Abraham, did I say Elijah? Isaac, thank you. Abraham was about 100 years old. And Abraham lived to 175. So, Isaac was 75 when his dad died. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Anyway, so as, as he gets ready, God says, don't kill him. Of course, don't kill him. But the Bible tells that Abraham had... The belief that God would raise him from the dead. That he'd bring Elijah back from the dead if he did have to sacrifice him. And so when John points to Jesus, he says, there is the lamb that God provided. That's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We know that in that original story, God provided a ram for, for God, for them to sacrifice. But John points to Jesus and proclaims who he is and what he will do. Who is Jesus? He is the lamb of God, Right? In the book of Revelation, it says he's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, right? But what's he going to do? It's going to take away the sin of the world. So we know who he is and what he's going to do. Revelation also says, John, who is worthy to open this scroll with these seven seals, and nobody in heaven and earth is found worthy. And he said he began to weep because no one was found worthy. And the angel said, John... Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And he said he turned and he saw a lamb slain. The lion and the lamb. And is it all in Christ. And so John is pointing to Jesus as that sacrifice for us. That one who went and died in our place. In his case on the cross. And John is centered on preparing people for For the proclamation of Jesus as Messiah. He's pointing to him and saying, look, that's the guy. Now, preachers don't want to do that. I'm going to speak broadly here. I don't don't have anybody in mind. Because why? We want everybody to join our church. Right? Back then, man, if you were a good teacher, you had a lot of followers. You're the deal. But... That's not what John does. He points to Jesus and says, that's the deal. That's the one you ought to follow. I I, I just think about, well, I don't need to go there. So John proclaims him, and what happens? I didn't read it in the text. Look um, look, Look a little further. And the Bible says, 
that two of his disciples walked away. Two of his disciples leave him and follow him. We'll come to that in a minute. The next day, John was standing in verse 35 to his disciples. And he looked at Jesus. He walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, why would you, why would you, and John's not disappointed they did that. But why would you be disappointed? He said, man, I got to quit talking about Jesus because everybody's following him. I want to follow me. Isn't that what a human, in a human uh, condition, that's how we would think. Because we want to gather all we can and keep all we can. You know, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid, poison the rest. It's me and my wife, my son, John, and his wife, us four no more. That's how humankind thinks. And God says, give it all away. You don't own any of it. You have everything, but you don't possess any. You can give it all away. It's not yours. It's his. And what you find now is when you give it all away, in Philippians, he told them, God's going to give you what you need because you gave me what I needed in his name. You, you gave it for the sake of the gospel to me, so I know God's going to take care of you because you gave everything you had. You gave me all that I needed there. But I want to point something else out before we leave this, this little part. And that is if you just turn maybe a page or two, but in John chapter 3 and verse 29 and 30, very close to the same reference in the first chapter, The disciples have come to John, some of his disciples, and said, Rabbi, the one that was with you over Jordan, the one you bore witness to, he's baptizing, and everybody's starting to follow him. In verse 27, John said, A person can't receive one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now here John is, in the Bible's foreshadowing the church. The church is the bride of Christ, Right? And so who is the husband? It's Jesus. John goes, I'm not the husband. I'm the best man. And I rejoice that the groom is gathering his bride. And he says, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase I must, that's crazy in the modern world, in the secular world. No, I I don't want to decrease. I want to increase. I want more. I want to be more popular. I want to be more important. Our kids today are just struggling. And kids today is an old man broad term. I know that. But with social media, where popularity, where celebrity is is the cult, is the is the cult they follow. They're devastated. Because you'll never be satisfied until you're satisfied with God. And if you're satisfied with God, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks or whatever. Because I know who I am in God. I don't have to follow them. And John says, no, you don't get it. This is why I'm here. I'm here to decrease so that he can increase. I don't want you following me. I want you to follow him. I've prayed with so many people who might visit a church where I'm pastor, here and other places. We're looking for a church. I'll say, well, can we pray with you? Did you find the right one? We'd love to have you here. I'm not trying to run you off. But I want you to find God's will. In the very first church I pastored, we had a family come, big family. Our church, we had about 90 people. 
And when a family of about seven or eight wants to join, that is a big increase. It was during a revival time. And I said, where are you coming from? And it was from, our church was down here at Stono Baptist Church. And up there was First Baptist Church, Johns Island. They had planted Stono. I said, oh, really? Why, why are you coming away from First Baptist? Well, Pastor and I, we've had a disagreement. And he won't see it my way. And da 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 I said, well, you can't join our church until you go make everything right with your pastor. He said, are you serious? I said, it's a heart attack. You better go do that. Don't talk to me until I can call him and say, how are you and him getting along? He never joined. He went back, they reconciled, and he became a very productive member of that church. It's, it's how God called us to do the kingdom. To get people, let people follow the Holy Spirit to the right spot to do the right thing. But we like to get in the way. We like to put our parameters on that. And it doesn't happen. Because we're not pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to ourselves. You see, the, the first thing there we saw is that John embraced humility. He said, he must increase. I got to decrease. It's about him. It's not about me. And then secondly, we want to invite people to experience Jesus Christ for themselves. And, and, and look, starting in verse 32 through 51, John said, I bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on him. That happened at Jesus' baptism. He says in verse 32, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. If you want to understand it better, read Romans 6. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And since you're in a Baptist church, I won't assume you know what baptized means, but it means to totally immerse. It means it's above you, it's below you, it's all around you. And if you drown in it, it's going to be inside you. And when you're baptized in the Spirit, it means he's in front of you, behind you, right, left, above, below. And he better be inside too. Because that's the only way you're going to live in Christ. And he said, the one whom I baptize is going, to is going to do it with water. He's going to do it with the Spirit. And I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. And then look at verse 35. The day after the day all that happened, John sees Jesus again. And he does he go, oh, there he is again. I can't believe he's showing up, messing up my preaching and my baptizing over here. No, he sees him standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Every time he saw him, Behold the Lamb of God. When people come and talk to you, do you say to them, Behold the Lamb of God? I know Jesus might not be walking by physically, so you can do that. But are you saying, Have you ever thought about Jesus? What do you think about him? What do you, what do you believe about him? What do you know about him? Can, can I talk to you about that for a minute? Do we point to Jesus? I keep asking that because I'm afraid that we don't. I'm afraid that I don't. But in, in verse 36, he sees him walk by and says, Behold the Lamb of God, and the two heard him. They start following. And Jesus looks at him and says, What are you seeking? And they said, and they call him teacher, rabbi, where are you staying? In verse 39, he said, Well, come and you'll see it. Jesus' invitation is, You, you want to follow me? Come on. Just let's go. Later on, he does tell us, but the cost of that is you got to take up your cross if you're going to follow him. Because if you don't take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, not an instrument of torture. It is torturous, but its, its main goal is to kill you. 
People get a cold and say, well, it's just my cross to bear. No, you got a cold. <laughs> you should be taking, your cross is you've died to yourself. You've died to your will, your desires, your wants. And you have surrendered yourself to God's will and God's desires and God's wants. And as a body, as a church, it's not about Calvary Baptist Church. It's about Jesus who is the Lord and the head of Calvary Baptist Church. And we've got to die to ourselves in order to live for him. And so they follow him. And the Bible says in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is the Greek. I mean, I'm sorry. What, uh, which, yeah, which means Peter. And Peter is, I mean, Peter is the Greek. Cephas is the Aramaic. And they both mean stone or rock. And Peter was anything but the guy you could depend on. I, I, I teasingly say, but I do believe it with all my heart, he was just ADHD to the max. Because you just see what he did. He's always popping off, you know, just no impulse control, just all over the map. And Jesus goes, you're the rock. No, I'm not. Yeah, but I'm going to make you one. And when you turn flubber into rock, that's a painful process. And Peter had to go through a painful process. But Jesus radically changed his life. And then... He goes on, and the next day, he goes up, Jesus goes to Galilee, and he finds Philip, and he says, follow me. And Philip goes and finds his brother, a guy named Nathaniel, and says to him, we found him of whom Moses is the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, well, come and see. He said what Jesus said to him, come and see. Let's go, go, let's go check it out. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathanael said, How do you know me? Jesus said, Before Philip called you, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Pretty, pretty uh, dramatic statement. Went from a cynic to a believer in a heartbeat. You see... The church ought to be pointing everybody to Jesus, not to the church. The church is his body, and of course, they got to be in the church. We gotta, this is where we grow in Christ. But the church, we have to understand that it is the body of Christ. Now, you're sitting there in a body of some sort. Everybody in here, you're still in a body, right? And where is the central control panel for your body? Up in here. That's why Jesus is the head and we are the body. And we're supposed to respond to the impulses of the head. Common sense, right? That's why we miss it. It just is so, God gave us that so we just get it. The body can't do what it wants to do. It must do what the head tells it to do. And we got to discover that. That's the joy of being a church. It's kind of what God wants you to do. The church has to understand that it is the body of Christ. But the church is made up of individual cells, just like our body is. So it depends, the body depends on every cell doing the assignment. If you saw that opening slide at all for a minute, you may or may not have noticed it was a honeycomb. 
Because that hive exists to make sure the queen lives. Well, we don't have a queen, we have a king. But it's the principle God laid down. And we exist to glorify, to lift up, to exalt the king. You say, well, that sounds kind of one-sided. Not really. You get to go to heaven when you die. So what are you complaining about? Right? That's kind of God's thing. Yeah, you're going to suffer here. You're in a fallen world. You were a fallen creature. I'm going to redeem you and bring you to heaven. In the meantime, I want you to be doing this. Well, what's too much for us to do for Christ? I don't know. What's too much for you to be able to know you're going to heaven? How much does God owe you? With the edges erased. Somebody said nothing. Right. That's a zero with the edges erased. He, he doesn't owe us anything. But he gave us eternal life through, by grace through faith. Right? Well, amen. Then let's get after it. Because that's the point. That's all we're here to do. We forget that. We, we, not only to bring them to Christ, but to help them learn about Christ. To teach them. To help them grow up. To help them become mature in Christ. But that is what we are to be about. And anything else we do is not what we are commanded to do. And by the way, it is a command. Andrew and Philip are, are, are models of what John did and what Jesus wants us to do. But there's something else I just noticed there. And it's kind of a sidelight. But not really. I notice when, when you come to know Christ, the very first thing you want to do is tell somebody you love. And to not tell somebody who's dying and going to hell how they can go to heaven, how they can know Jesus, how they can have a life that may be hard, but you got God living with you, that is selfish, probably at best, if not cowardly. That's what we're supposed to do. And there is no price that God asks us to pay that is greater than the price he's already paid. You'll never stand before God and say, you don't know what I went through. <laughs> you go, oh, you want to compare notes? <laughs> okay. There was a joke about a man who died in a sudden flood and he got to heaven. And they said, yeah, we have religious meetings up here too. We meet together and people give their testimony. He said, man, I'd love to give my testimony about how, how uh, that flood came and what God did in my life through that flood. And he goes, okay, but I got to warn you, Noah's on for tonight. <laughs> yeah. But we ought, to have, we, ought to, we ought to care about those. And who are, by the way, who is my neighbor and who am I supposed to love? Jesus said, even my enemy. I have to tell my enemy about Christ. I have to point my enemy to Christ. Even while he is killing me. You read the book, book of the martyrs. Fox's book of martyrs. You read Stephen in the Bible. Dying. And he's pointing people to Jesus. And pointing people to Jesus. And pointing people to Jesus. And these martyrs as they died. Pointed people to Jesus. Many of them dying for religious reasons. She's never had problems with sinners. They had problems with religious people. Because we think we got it together. And we, we're all that. So he tells us about the rich Pharisee came into church and said, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner sitting in the back. I give, I pray, I do all these things. And the guy in the back said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, that guy, the guy who said that went home justified. That guy in the front was just talking to himself. God wasn't even listening to him. Well, thirdly, out of these texts, just look at the last two verses in chapter 1. 
verses uh, 50, 51. Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You're going to see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Indeed, they, they did witness that. I just want you to know, Christ notices. Because God wants you to do bigger things than you think you can do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, 20, uh, one, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I'm glad it said that. Number one, we don't ask enough, but he can do more than you even think. I mean, I've seen some of these, you know, sci-fi movies. I, it's pretty amazing. I, I've seen crazy ideas in books and on screen and all those things. And Jesus said, man, y'all got a small imagination. I can do more than you can even imagine can happen. And the verse goes on to say, that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What is that power at work within us? It is not a thing. It's a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are given the power to do the task that God assigns you. You can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. But so many people we say, hey, can you do this for the Lord? Well, I can't do that. I don't know what kind of parent you have, but my mom told me more than once, can't, never could do that. If you say you can't, you can't. But if you say I can, God will help you figure out how it could be done. I was in another place one time, and, and the people needed to be challenged about doing something that they thought was impossible. So I asked a simple question. Well, if you could do it, how would you do it? And you know what? They thought about it and figured it out. <laughs> you see, we are called to take the gospel to all the world. And when you really just sit and meditate on that, it seems impossible. Do you know how it happens? I'm going to let you in on a secret. A lot of people don't know this. Don't tell anybody else. Go find your brother and say, we found him. Go to your next door neighbor and say, we found him. Go to the person you work with and say, we found him. And when they say, who? Jesus, the Messiah. They say, oh, I don't believe in that. You say, come and see. It's that simple. It's that hard. <laughs> 